let's be honest, there's 29 NBA teams and then there's a G League roster with a few stars. They have a math problem offensively. Saturdays are the most fun day of the week. And with that, you get the most fun pod right here on the Athletic NBA show. It's called the Saturday Slam and Jam. You'll hear me, Andrew Schlecht, and my co-host Alex Spears break down the past week of NBA basketball, bring on a smart beat writer to give you the lowdown on their team, and then we have a trivia game, Andrew versus the beat, where I just try not to humiliate myself. So when you're raking your leaves, brewing your coffee, or just taking care of stuff around the house, listen to Saturday Slam and Jam right here on the Athletic MBA Show. Right in your podcast face. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. With a group that works like they do, the group that embraces some of our mantras. We talk about getting better every day. We talk about playing together. When you do those things, you end up on a stage like this. For our city of Milwaukee, NBA champions. Yeah, it's big time. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartman. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. You guys know how this goes. It's Friday. It's Nerder She Wrote. I'm Dave DeFore. Seth and Mo are here with me as they are always. Uh, guys, don't forget, next Tuesday, the mid-range theory by our very own Seth Partnow. It stores everywhere. Seth, are you excited? Who've come across some copies have started to read it, and, and the feedback has been positive. Probably because the only people who have copies now are people who uh, would, wouldn't give me bad feedback to begin with. Thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> so, but my no, mom I, would hammer me, man. My mom would be like, "Oh my gosh, you ended this sentence with a preposition. What are you thinking?" And Mo, the the Twitch streams have been fun. One Mo thing, you're you're, uh, you're ahead of the curve everywhere. Uh, the Twitch streams are at what time? 11 a.m. Pacific time. So whatever else that is in your time zone, you'll have to figure that out. But 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, come through, just breaking down basketball. There you go. And those are a must watch. Uh, speaking of must watch, hey guys, I want to hop right into our favorite things. And uh, my favorite thing this week, as much as it pains me to do this, I'm going to put off talking about the Sixers and their role players and their coach role on the players. floor. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to skip that this week, but they have been great. Um, the Bulls are just too damn good to ignore. They're now eight and three. They have the sixth best defensive rating in the league, the fourth best overall net rating. And it started, I mean, their defense has just been awesome. Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso are putting opposing guards through hell. This is fantastic. And they're moving the ball like crazy on offense. And so I wanted, I've been wanting to talk to you guys about it. I don't know, for about two weeks, but you know, got to wait to get there. And, and Mo, I really want to ask you, is this just 
what Billy Donovan's offense looks like when he has guys that can move the ball or, or is, is it something new? No, I mean, I think this is just having more talent, you know, across the board. At, I mean, look at what they've done. They've upgraded at every position, and this isn't really a shot at the other guys, but Lonzo Ball with the kickaheads, he has great synergy with Levine. Levine basically gets four, four to six points off runouts alone. Like, you guys saw the strike he balled through to him at the end of the game to Levine, and then he did a 360 dunk. But that was like the second or third one in that game. Like, they are just playing – on a different level, you have DeRozan, who's playing on on uh, probably at his highest level right now, but it's going a long way for them. Like he's coming in and closing games for them and, and keeping them in games and stuff like that. Like they're just rolling, and Vucevic hasn't even really gotten on a roll yet. Like he's kind of started out slow, but you haven't even noticed. Yeah. I- I don't want to jump too far ahead to is this sustainable, but I think what what you led with, Dave, about Caruso and Ball defensively, like when we, we were evaluating off seasons, like that was the part that that I think everyone was like, that's awesome, that's a great natural fit with Levine. Uh, and speaking of the fit with Levine, it's bouncing off the Bulls for a second, but um, I do wonder if when he comes back, Lonzo not being there, how that's going to make life harder for Zion since he won't get those. Those 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 you know three four kind of uh, ex- be careful with that. Be careful with that. You're going to hear from Pelicans fans because yeah. anytime you mention Lonzo Ball, it's like the Candyman. They they just pop up. They can't. They 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 say that he was inconsistent and all these things. Not that he was on a team that was inconsistent. Just that he was inconsistent. No, go no, ahead, no. They, they can they can go ahead and shove it. Um, in, in, yes. in, in all honesty, just because they, he was the perfect fit. For, for Williamson, like it, it doesn't even like we can talk about inconsistency and things like that. The whole situation was unstable ever since Zion has gotten there, different coaches, everything like that and stuff. You can you can pin it on on Lonzo if you want. But at this point, you're one in 11. Like, I don't think Lonzo <laughs> was the problem. And I, I will never understand how why they so publicly wanted to trade Lonzo all last season. I mean, it was right around like the beginning of the season, we were hearing rumors that they wanted to move Lonzo and it was to get Kira Lewis opportunities and things like that. He was the perfect fit for this team. Like it just, and you're just seeing it with the bulls and it's just, it's surprising with that when, when you see that. So I, I apologize Pelicans fans cause you're feeling burned, but honestly your, your organization did it. Cause I never understood why from the beginning they were basically like, we don't want him. Oh, it's about the day in, day out stuff, right? Because if you look at the the large sample size and you look at his numbers, eh, they're fine. It, it, you can't live and die by every single game. It's it's the Danny Danny Green conundrum. Danny Green might go one for five in a game, but then he might go five or six in the next game. Everybody, I mean, take a happens. shot. He's, he mentioned Danny Green. Take a shot. Oh man, you guys are going to be hammered at the oh, end. Oh my of this goodness. One. Uh, no. Um, I, so okay. So let's talk about their sustainability here because sure. it's starting on the defensive end, and their good defense is turning into great offense again. Mo, you mentioned that that dart that Lonzo threw. How often does the pass on a three sixty breakaway dunk overshadow the dunk? I mean, I, I actually didn't. I I rewound rewound the tape. To watch the pass before I even saw that it was a 360 dunk. Yeah, no, the pass was amazing in its in its own right and things like that. But let's get to the the, the real thing was yes. it was a defensive possession that got yes. them that. Caruso dove on the floor 
for either a loose ball or, or it was a loose ball. It was Tim. Somebody was trying to throw a pass. It got deflected. Crusoe dives on the floor, tosses it up to Vucevic, hits it to Lonzo. We know the rest of the story. But it's all starting on their defensive end. And it's just the the chaos that they're providing defensively with it. And defense is contagious. When, when, when you have two or three guys hustling like that, it leads to other guys making those moves. And I think, you know, when we talk to sustainability, like, yes, I think at some point there'll be a drop-off. But we just, we're watching them play at their best level right now on both ends of the court. And it's off to a great start. They're rolling. You know, there, there will be a drop-off at some point, but we know what they can get to. We know what their peak is. Yeah, especially – and if Vooch – like you said, if Vooch bounces back to his form, that's going to help stabilize any sort of drop-offs that they might see from you know DeMar or even Zach Levine who's been fantastic to start the season. I, I Man, I just think the Bulls are just flat-out good. I don't disagree. I – strictly defensively, I do have some worries about sustainability. There's some – the underlying stuff is a little worrisome. They're allowing the most shots at the rim – they're not forcing a lot of mid-range shots. They aren't getting super lucky with like opponent three percentage, middle of the pack, actually a little bit above average. They're not like riding a bunch of missed free throws, but opponents are shooting like 27% on floaters against them. Now, if you if you were a team with like say you had the Raptors like help side length, okay, maybe they have something to do with that. Or if you had, you know, a massive rim protector, maybe you say that's that's a defensive thing. But I think that, you know, teams shooting basically 30% on shots between three and 16 feet against them, that's not that's not sustainable. They're, they're, they're good at forcing turnovers. They're above average defensive rebounding. They're average-ish in opponent shooting and, and uh, – um, free throw rate. So you do wonder, given those underlying fundamentals, the defense, I think, is going to regress. And I don't think that should be a surprise, just given the personnel. I mean, you're starting with a, you know, a great defensive backcourt when those two guys are on the floor together. And Vooch, I'd say, is at this point in his career, it's a, it's a solid center defensively. And Levine has been better, sure. But him and, him and you know, in that lineup, him and, and DeRozan at the three and four, not a good defensive pairing. I think that's fair to say. Um, so, well, it's I, I do think it can be, especially because of the turnovers and the hustle and the ability to turn it into fast breaks. I do think that their defense can be credible. I just think you know we're not going to. I don't think they're going to end the year as, as a top five defense. And I don't. I frankly would be mildly surprised if they ended the year as a top ten defense. Wow. I mean, I I, I think that. I tend to agree with you. It's so early, but I mean, we thought. I mean, again, so we far. thought we were. We thought they were going to be like twenty fifth or something in defense. So even getting to even getting to league average is that's that's with the offense this team can put out there. Like you know, fourth best offense, fifteenth defense, pretty good team. Yeah, the Bulls are good. Um, okay, uh, Mo, your turn. What, what's your favorite thing this week, and and why is it the Clippers? <laughs> well, it's Paul George. It's just, I mean, he's been awesome. You know, and it's funny. I'm actually, I heard it. I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe before the start of the season, Vincent Goodwill on a podcast, I forget which podcast, made a great comment. And he said, like, Paul George is awesome as your number one, right? And and maybe not as good as your number two. And when you watch the way he's playing, he's doing everything. Scoring. He's dropping assists. And playmaking, he, he took a leap as a playmaker last season. And it's sustained it's still doing the same thing this year he's rebounding really well in the game that the Clippers beat the Blazers he didn't shoot the ball that well still scored 24 points but had like nine rebounds and seven assists like he's doing all the things you need to do 
all around for a team. And now the Clippers are rolling, right? Like they've won five straight at this point from the time we're recording. I know they play tonight, so if they lose, everybody forgive me. But they're they're on kind of just a good system. He's getting everybody involved. They got those things going with everything. It's just Paul George is, you know, and, and, and since the playoffs, he's kind of rolling as the guy. And it's just great to see considering how much – crap he took you know uh a, a while ago Seth is making a finish no should he I was just this this is something that kind of came up a little bit preseason is if hey if the Clippers are good this year is Paul George going to be a, like a dark horse MVP candidate and I think I mean I think that's where we're kind of seeing that aren't we like I don't yeah, 27 he, points a game uh career high five and a half ish assists a game uh the defense I mean uh, the narrative will be there, Seth. I mean, there's another guy up the coast in uh, in, in in the Bay Area who probably is the uh, runaway oh, yeah. runaway leader at this one point. Of one, yeah. yeah. So, but but it's but he he is worth worth mentioning in 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 those terms. How do you feel about the job that Ty Lu is doing, Mo? With only one sort of star guy. I mean, Reggie Jackson is the second best player on this team and right he, now, and he hasn't even kind of caught what he did in the playoffs right like we Reggie Jackson surprised all of us with how well he played in the playoffs we haven't really seen that in the regular season so far but Ty Lue has always been an underrated coach right you win a championship with LeBron and everybody goes you won because you had LeBron and it's not understanding that he's a damn good basketball coach he's willing to experiment with things he's willing to try stuff in games and this is the big thing when it doesn't work and when he has enough evidence to know it doesn't work he tries something else. He doesn't stay with it and, and doesn't continue to do the same thing. Like Ty Lue as a coach is really a top three coach to me in the NBA. Like I agree. He, he doesn't get enough credit for it. And it's just his smarts with it and the, the moves he makes and everything about it. And and I, I love everything that they're doing with it. You know, I, I still have low expectations just because the, the, the ceiling is a little lower without Kawhi, but you got to give him a ton of credit just getting everybody in in their roles ready to play. And if he needs to make an adjustment, I trust him to make the adjustments. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. One of these days we'll get into coaching ego and why Ty Lue is actually the perfect basketball coach because he, he really suspends his ego and just looks for things that work. He doesn't have a system. Like he, he actually coaches players to make plays. And I mean, I, I love Ty Lue. I mean, Mo, you and I were talking about this the year that, that he won a title that it was all about his adjustments and and he was making adjustments quarter by quarter. He wasn't waiting game by game. He, you know, he was looking for those, those little, the low hanging fruit that they could pick up extra points against, you know, that tough warriors team back, back then. Uh, I, all right. Seth. I, 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 oh, I you got it. No, you know, I think I like what you said there about coaching ego, because we start to talk about the guys who we think are the best coaches in the league right now. And I think that's a, that's a through line. I mean, I think that's a, um, if you really think about like the way Eric Spolster coaches, I think that they like, yes, he's got principles, but they're, they're more about like, okay, you're going to be in damn good shape. But then because how we're going to play is we're going to try some stuff. Um, I think, I mean, Nick Nurse has gotten tons of, tons of credit for that. And I think he should, he's done a great job again this year, I think with, with this, this, this 
crazy long Raptors team. And then Ty Lue, like, like, um, who are like who are some of the other coaches that you start to think well, of that are that have that that have that? And I think they're all going to be guys who are filtering towards the top of who we think are the good coaches. Well, we're going to talk about culture later on in the show, so it'd be a good time to to, to swing back to that. But you're right that um, coaching ego, yeah, the, the guys coaching better teams tend to be the guys that that don't have the apparent ego, right? Like, I mean, Greg Popovich. How many times has he changed his system? And I, this isn't to say that that he isn't uh, a dominant figure as a coach. That's not it. But certainly doing what works and not just what you want to do as a coach is is more difficult than it seems and can create more success. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk culture in a little bit. Uh, Seth, your favorite thing from the week, and, and honestly, it was one of mine too, Ricky Rubio, man. Uh, Just a joy to watch. Ch- change your face. <laughs> no, that's... I still hate that he and Anthony Edwards got broken up, but uh, he's great in Cleveland. I mean, it's it's just been awesome. Cleveland overall is... Uh, I mean, I think first week we kind of... we, we uh, I, I don't know about we. I kind of was like, oh, I don't know. They're starting this stupid front court, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, actually, the Mobley-Jared Allen pairing works pretty goddamn well. Um, but, like, Rubio has always been one of my favorite players. And sort of the last year or so, it's like, mm, the clock might be running out. And he's having just a just a resurgence of a season this year. This is – this. I was just looking this up before the show. Prior to this year, his uh, career high in usage was in, like, the 22s. He's up almost to 26% usage this, this year. One of the things that was most kind of the biggest detriments on him was like his unwillingness almost to look for his own offense. And that is not the Ricky Rubio we're seeing this season. He was, you know, even just, you know, they dropped a tough one to Washington last night, but not just the game against the Knicks where he went off. He is hunting looks. He is like, I'm putting the ball in the basket if that's what we need us to do. Uh, And then, of course, him just like being an absolute flamethrower. In the garden, you know, eight of nine three pointers. The only one he missed was kind of a, a ludicrous leaning left step back heat check late in the game after he was already eight for eight. And you're entitled to whatever shot you want to take. If well, he you're had eight, one of those. Yeah, exactly. No. Well, yeah, those, exactly. So why not try um, it again? I mean, no. this looks more like the international basketball, like the yeah. FIBA Ricky Rubio, which you know has always been something that I've wanted to see in the NBA. And it, I don't know how long it works, and, and I don't know if you can be you know, a real contender with that version of Ricky Rubio at any point in his career, but it's helping the Cavs. And now that Colin Sexton's out, I mean, they might get even more of a Ricky Rubio bump, Mo. Yeah, no, I mean, first off, Rubio just kind of does a great job as a pro kind of bringing, especially the young guys, like he's perfect for this team in the sense of a solid vet and, and a, a wise old sage type deal for them and, and to continue sort of, help mentoring guys. You're seeing a bump from Darius Garland. You're seeing, you're talking about it. You were heartbroken that Anthony Edwards and them broke up, but now he has Evan Mobley, right? And like, there's a little bit of that and he can take Mobley under his wing. It's, it's funny. Like somebody will ask me like, Oh man, like where would Rubio fit? And my answer is always everywhere. Like he's just the perfect guy in any locker room. Like he just does a great job with it. And I think this team, I'm still, wary of it I still think you know they're on a hot start I could see this stuff dropping off for them and and things like that but this is this is good signs with everything we're seeing and you're just seeing the value of Rubio like I think 
the league has kind of dismissed Rubio to a degree in a way of like, eh, he's just, he's an okay player type of stuff. But this is a dude that really just helps you win. And, and, and I think you're seeing that with what he's doing with the Cavs and what he's bringing because he's just a great team guy. And it's Seth was saying, Seth was saying like, Hey, you need me to score? I'll score, right? Like he will just do whatever the team needs him to do. And I think that's an ultimate, uh, key thing you need in a guy like him. He's a glue guy. Yeah, it's amazing that a guy with the kind of talent that he has would be treated like a caretaker point guard for so much of his career. Is is that odd to you guys? So this this circles back to we were talking about Lonzo earlier because in many ways they're 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 from a skill set standpoint they're very similar players. I think Um, both uh, you know Rubio may not be like the the on ball defender that ball is. But over his career, he's been a very impactful defender in terms of just being in the right place, playing passing lanes, creating turnovers. Um, but the focus has always been so much on what they can't do and ignoring the ways that, that, that they caused the scoreboard to move in a positive, uh, positive manner for your team. Um, the word that comes to mind, both this year, the way he's playing and just in general, I mean, looking back, even when he's on pretty bad Minnesota teams was he plays with joy and for a team that, that, you know, needs to come up. I think that, that, that you need some of that, right? You need that, that, Hey, this is fun. Let's like, you know, there's the, uh, um, we, we, we all love Ted Lasso. Well, two of us love Ted Lasso on the, on this show, but there's, there's, there's the, there's the scene where, where Roy Kent is, is telling the, the team's captain, like, Hey, remember when you started to play, you played because it was, fucking fun and it's like rubio probably swears a lot less than roy kent does but but like there is that there is that aspect to him i secretly hope ricky rubio actually curses like a sailor a sailor in the locker room like i, I hope like he gets ichiro guys used really to fired up. like there's always that yeah. there's always that uh, that 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 piece of intel that, that ichiro swore like a sailor another guy who played with joy by the way right well i mean this is a perfect segue to our bigger topic, which is culture. And joy is certainly a part of that. We hear about team culture all the time in sports. I mean, this is just, it comes up. It's a word that is thrown out often. Good culture, bad culture. I don't know, maybe you have a pending NBA investigation into your team and people are saying things like toxic culture, maybe. How does that stuff translate to the court? Right? Like, Because that's what matters, right, Mo? I mean, who cares if your culture is great and you guys go to the movies, if you're not winning games. Right. And I think that's one of those things like culture is the hardest thing to set. And I don't, when we talk about it, we always kind of look at it as this is something the coach sets or something the front office sets. Honestly, it's the ownership. It starts from the very top, right? And, and they kind of set the culture with everything and how they operate is how everybody's going to feel and work in there. And every, Ownership's different. Everybody operates differently. Some are more hands-on than others. Some are literally just barely there. The first time I met uh, Peter Holt, I didn't even know he was our owner. Like it was just along those lines of like you rarely saw him. I was like, who's that? And they're like, oh, that's the owner. You should, uh, oh, okay. Like, you know, and it's not that he's not paying attention. It's just he wasn't in practice every day. He wasn't on team flights. He wasn't in the locker rooms. He wasn't this – like he was just – He'd watch the games, operate, do whatever he had to do meetings wise, but that was it. Like it wasn't overbearing. And then there are some that are just super involved, like a Mark Cuban and things like that. They're not necessarily a right or wrong, but culture starts from the very top. And it's the, it's, 
your ownership. And and I think that's where you, you got to start when you talk culture. Well, it's the Danny LaRue line. The greatest competitive advantage in sports is ownership. But as we discussed earlier, coaches do matter. Coaches are in the locker room every day. Coaches are the ones that can implement a culture, get a get your culture going on the right foot. It can also derail your culture. And a guy that I think has set a pretty good tone in Denver is Michael Malone. And Seth, you sent me this quote, which kind of got us rolling on this topic. He said this uh, the other day. When I got here, one of my two goals was to change the culture. But you realize quickly that culture isn't something you can say. Okay, we've got that, and now we can cross it off. Culture is every day. You can't allow something to go by and not call it out because that erodes your culture quick. And Seth, I am reminded of Tim Duncan being coached by Greg Popovich and coached hard and taking it. That sets the tone for your team, doesn't it? Yeah, that's we're like in that case, it's a it's hey, we're about the work. We're not about ego. We're not about I'm better than this. We're about I'm getting better. And, you know, and and frankly, I think that if 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 Tim Duncan had ever come back at Greg Popovich, no, you're wrong. Pop would have been like, yep, nope. Yeah, I'll think about that um, because they'd kind of earned that that sort of uh, mutual respect. Um, I want to go back to something that that you asked. I think it was you asked, like, what uh, what does culture matter if we're not if it doesn't show yeah, up on the court? If, it, if you're not winning games, um, you know, I think it matters a great deal. It's a long season. You spend a lot of time with these people, even for a team that isn't necessarily winning games on the court. You can either you can either be marking time or you can be using that time. You can be doing things to get better. You can be going somewhere. It's not necessarily like okay, we're not winning a championship this year. Why bother? It's like, no, we're trying to get better. If you have, if your culture is allowing it to be about that, about the journey, then you can actually do that. If it's like, oh man, I can't wait to get the fuck out of here. Then how are you going to develop? A great example of that is actually Monty Williams, right? And what he did in Phoenix. He came into Phoenix and literally was like, we have to change the culture here. And that was my first, you know, when I, my first impressions of him that season was, Wow, he's really doing a great job shifting the culture there. They weren't winning a lot of games right away. It was taking them time. And then we saw them kind of blow up in the bubble. But that was culture. That was culture starting to, to, to cultivate and then get Chris Paul. Then we know the run they had last season. But it starts with, you know, just coming in there with that mentality. And then the great thing about the quote you just read, Dave, from Michael Malone is that culture is an everyday thing. And it's so fragile. It's literally like it's it's a glass. Like the wrong thing can just crack it, you know. And 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 once you have a small crack, it begins to grow unless you address it right away. It is that important, and it, and and it's something you got to stay on top of. And if you don't, then it just everybody looks at it going like, well, we're really not about these things. We just say we're about it. All right. So you know, we know that you can lose and have good culture, right? I mean, this, this is possible. I mean, it, it happens all the time. But is that sustainable? So, so like Oklahoma City comes to mind for me right now. I think the way that they play, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious the coaching staff is doing a good job there. But at a certain point, you know, if they're losing badly all year, which I don't think they're going to, they're tough. But if they are losing badly all year, does that start to, to detract from your culture? And not just Oklahoma City. I hate to just single them out. It's just the first team I thought of. But 
you know, I, well, the Pelicans don't have great culture, so I guess we can't mention them in that in the same sentence. But is there a point where you have to start winning to maintain good culture? I think at a certain point, yes, but I think it's a longer time frame than necessarily we always allow. Like you think about the Nets before they added, you know, uh, Katie and Kyrie, like they had had, you know, no success, slight success, moderate success in the three years before that. But I think that we would, I, I think they were widely recognized as being like, it, it wasn't so much that they were, you know, by the, the, the last year um, that they were this juggernaut, but they had they'd gotten better every year. There was progress. They were going somewhere both as a team and as individuals. Um, and I think that is necessarily it's, – it's almost more the, the the velocity, the directionality than it is like the level of achievement. Because I think that if you look at two teams that are winning 45 games, team that two years ago won 55 games and the team that two years ago won 35 games, which of those teams do you think is a – is a more fun team to be around. It's a better environment. It's probably the team that's moving upwards because they're probably like, you know, that, that that rising boat probably makes it a little easier for everyone to be professional, to be, you know, to look look past the annoying thing the next guy did, to, you know, <laughs> make sure they show up on time, to give to do everything in the weight room, to be, you know, positive on the bench at all times, to pay attention in film sessions, all those little things that that sort of add up. Much easier when you're kind of on the way up than when you're like, oh boy, let's just get through this. Yeah, I mean, it's the the Nets are a great example. The the way Seth kind of just described that them on the way up and building that culture and that kind of drew those stars in there. Now that changed their culture completely once they got there, but that's just the the way it goes with everything. But the other thing too, Dave and you had kind of you guys were talking about in terms of having a win. Just look at the culture the Sixers had when they were tanking, right? It was a bad culture. Like, you know, and it's it's tough because Brett Brown's a big culture guy. It was just at the end of the day, they didn't really worry that much about winning. It was let's try to get better and things like that. Let's get these guys better. But then you saw early on when they started to have success, the culture wasn't there as the foundation, right? And I think that's an important thing for a lot of these teams that are tanking. And you guys know, as everybody does, I'm very critical of Oklahoma City, but I'll give them this. They do have the culture there, right? If they ever do try to start winning, they're going to have that that foundation there that maybe that the Sixers didn't have. And that's kind of the problem with New Orleans. What is their culture? Like, they're a team that's lost. They don't have a culture right now. Like, I don't know it. Like, and part of that- There's no accountability there, for sure. Right, and that's a big part of culture in general, right? Being held accountable. That's- we talk about heat culture and everybody's like, oh, it's just they get those guys in shape. No, no, no. It's they hold these dudes accountable and they understand that there's an – you have to hit these marks. Otherwise, there's this coming and things like that. That's the key to culture is the accountability. And the accountability part actually leads me to my question for you guys here. Does the power structure in the NBA where the players really do – I mean they run the league. Does that – just make it impossible to always have good culture. I mean, when you, if you're a player and you can have the coach fired or the GM replaced or, or whatever, I mean, where does the, if you're not Steph Curry and you're starting the culture yourself, then, then where does it come from? How, how do you, 
how do we reconcile good team culture and player empowerment in in the modern era? I mean, it exists, so I know that it, it works. But do you have to have a Steph Curry or a Tim Duncan or a Ja Morant or an Anthony Edwards or, you know, one of the more amenable and joyful superstars in order to have good culture in the NBA now? Normandale is dead. It's the Gene Hackman and Hoosiers. Like that, that... Like I think that's that's always been a bit of a toxic like uh, archetype of of what a coach is, but certainly in mo- in professional sports, certainly in the NBA, with the you know the players having as much say as they do, you're not that you can't be that guy and have and have good good culture. You have to be, you know, you you can have authority, but you can't be a tyrant. It's a partnership. Like the the you know. You talked earlier about Tim Duncan allowing himself to be coached hard. If if he thought Greg Popovich was a clown, maybe Tim Duncan is a is a, is a uh, you know a, a personality that would have that would have allowed that. But I think he's he was driven enough by competitiveness that if the guy was a clown, he was like it was not going to go well. So I think it's it's seeking it as a as a partnership with with your the players your best players is much more and that's the kind of thing like you see these like leadership councils and shit like that that's 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 an, that's an attempt at the form not the substance of it right that's you fake shouldn't, culture yeah no yeah, it's fake you shouldn't, culture. Like, that's right you shouldn't there you, you go, shouldn't well. need to, you shouldn't need to formalize that this just should be something that happens this is something you do it's like hey you know steve kerr's like hey steph what do you think about blah 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 hey draymond what do you think about blah 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 let's mm-hmm. let's, let's us three talk about it and not like a meeting just like before practice, I was thinking about this. What do you guys think? I mean, with some of the stuff that, like Steve Kerr, as a as a basketball coach and as a basketball leader, right? I mean, it, more than anything, the way that he guides that team. I mean, you know, Draymond running running timeouts. I mean, it reminds me of Manu doing the same thing. I mean, it just a lot of the stuff. And and I definitely believe that that's in Kerr's personality to to check his ego to a certain degree. Um, but but definitely being around the Spurs and Pop. He saw the stuff that that works, and it looks like – I mean, you've got Steph Curry, so it's hard to have a bad day at work, I think. But they definitely have this thing figured out. I mean, they're the best team in the league right now, and yes, they have talent, but I, I do think that the joy and the culture there is why they are able to win with some of the guys that they do. But I also want to go back to just kind of the player empowerment and, and, and can you have that. The Lakers the first year with AD and LeBron had it. They had a good culture, you know, now granted they've kind of thrown it away with some of the moves they've made since then, but they had a good culture there. And that was a first year coach with Vogel. They got buy-in and that's, and that's ultimately what we're talking about at the end of the day. It's buy-in, right? It's can the coach, can the coach set the culture for the team? Can he get the players to buy in? And that starts with your star player, right? Can, you know, that's that's the challenge Chauncey Billups is going to have in Portland, right? And and getting Dame bought in and keeping him bought in. Because once you get Dame bought in, everybody else is going to fall in line. And that's the same for every coach in all of these places where they're, where they're going and trying to, to reset these things. And I think that's the, the challenge there. And it, it ain't easy. And that's why, you know, only so few teams actually have good culture. I don't know how many teams have great culture. Do, do culture wins exist? Like, are there games where you guys are watching and you're like, okay, this is only because this team has 
great vibes or, or whatever. I mean, I, in the regular I, I go season, to the Warriors yeah. a lot. I think I think absolutely in the regular season there are there are games that you know it's a Tuesday, it's rainy, it's November, whatever. How long till the playoffs? And it's you need to get some culture buckets. Yeah, is that well, what no, we're it's, not, it's not just it's it, but it's it's the team. It's like okay, well, we're here. Let's play. Let, might as might as well do the thing right. We're here already. Uh, and that's and that's maybe that's not that's not the way they put it. Maybe that's like that's sort of the the loosey goosey version of the culture that would do that. But there's also like the you know the more glass eating kind of like grind everything culture that can also do that. But and then you know that's that's um, Trey Young gave a quote the other day that I thought was was reasonably revealing about this. He's like he said something about like hey, regular season's boring, and he's not wrong. Like for a team that gets to a certain point, right? Like the next regular season is like, what are we doing? And you have to push back against that. You have to be like, yes, I know tonight isn't ultimately what's going to win or determine our season, but the aggregate of tonight and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, uh, and that's that's a little bit harder. And that's again, that's that's. Uh, that's sort of a collective shared thing that I don't like. You say it starts from. You can say it starts from ownership. You can say it starts from the coach. You can say it starts from the best player. I think it's sort of it all comes together, and it's it's as you said, it's ephemeral and it can go away very easily. Um, one of my you know favorite analogies is 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 you know relationship counselors talk about tank filling, right? Which is you can do you can you do positive things that fill up the tank of the person you're working with, or you can be a tank drainer, and you know the. The science of this is apparently like one negative thing counteracts five positive things. And that I think illustrates just how hard it is to have good culture because you've got to keep a better than five to one ratio of like positive culture things to negative. And, you know, we, you see this with like, you know, one kind of sourpuss. Maybe you can survive one sourpuss, but this is why the sort of the unofficial one knucklehead rule, right? You can kind of like, oh, one of them we'll deal with. We can keep that ratio if we got one. We can keep them on board. But if it's, if it starts to, and they start to bounce off each other, then the ratio just gets out of whack and it's unsustainable. And that's the front office's role in, in, in the culture and keeping the culture alive. It's understanding your culture and who fits, right? Like there are guys that Miami knows very talented that won't fit how they do things. They're in San Antonio. We've passed on guys that were talented and they've picked over, Hey, no, this guy is going to fit our culture better than this guy. It's, it's having that understanding and the, the, the knucklehead rule that Seth put out there is exactly spot on. Like you just got to be careful with that, right? You can't have too many of them because then it kind of gets out of control and you lose your culture there. And it's so, it is so much easier to lose the culture or break the culture and, and, and th then actually maintain it. And it's hard work there. And it does take everybody involved to kind of keep it going. It takes the players kind of being in line, not just buy, buying in, but staying into it and staying with it and, and, and calling out when they see it, not, you know, somebody not kind of following the culture stays on the coach who has to constantly preach it and continue to sell it stays on the front office, making sure they're bringing in guys that continue to, to perpetuate the culture and not so much be willing to break it. And then you, same thing with ownership, just understanding what they're seeing. It's everybody being in line at the end of the day, at least, and in the same culture and understanding, this is who we are. And when you don't have that, you're going to have a hard time. And it's also, you talk about bringing in guys. It's also just like the same people. It gets stale. Like, again, I think this is something that we, we talk about a lot 
is how much time during a season you spend with this group of people. And just like, just shaking that up a little bit is, is important. And sometimes just get new stories into the mix, you know? So it's, it's, it's not just like, Oh, this is a bad apple. We gotta, it's just, you know, you gotta kind of, you gotta rotate things. You gotta, you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta, the, the menu can't be the same for, you know, 20 years. You gotta, if you want the restaurant to stay popping, you gotta like occasionally switch it up a little bit. Yeah, that's why we got to get Ben Taylor in here every now and then, right? Like, we got to keep the culture fresh. Uh, okay, uh, that's about it for this week. Uh, you guys got any closing thoughts as we look ahead to the next week? I can't believe we're like a month into the season already. Mid-range theory next Tuesday. Seth, is that that I just yeah, no, that's, take your that's, line? That's, that's all, that's that's all, all we Seth care about. That's, that's all, all Seth we can care. think about. That's all Seth hey. got. I, you know what? I've never written a book, uh, but I imagine it must feel pretty good right now. So I'm pumped for you. I'm proud of you. Really excited for this book. And I can't wait to read it or tell you I read it and that it was great. <laughs> Mo, we got one more thing coming up this week. And we got the Twitch streams at 11 Pacific every day, Monday to Friday, guys. If you want to know what's happening on the court in the league, you have to watch Mo on Twitch. That's 2 Eastern, 11 Pacific over on Twitch. And the channel, Mo? Uh, Twitch.tv slash M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. There you go. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Nerd She Wrote this week, folks. For Seth and for Mo, I'm Dave. Keep it posted to the Athletic NBA Show. Peace.